Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Our WhatsApp number is 087-1400-106. Our email address is afternoon at newstalk.com or you can follow us uh, on Twitter. It is indeed uh, time for uh, Movies and Booze and uh, we are going to be, uh, we have a panel all of women today, which is actually not that unusual come to think of it. It's actually more unusual if there were. I don't think we've ever had a panel of all men, actually. Good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Proper think order. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I'll, uh, I'm going to sit under my desk and, and, <laughs> uh, and shout out questions where you can't, uh, you can't hear me. Anyway, that was Fanula Jones uh, there in uh, spewing misandry <laughs> in, the, uh, in the studio there. And Jean Swallow is here too. We'll be chatting to Esther uh, very shortly, hopefully. So what we, why are we talking to, um, about today, Jean? Well, we're, we're going to look at a, a very big brand. In fact, one of the biggest brands in the world. It's Chilean, uh, Casilero del Diablo. And I went to London, oh, about three weeks ago. Um, for you know, they were having this huge, big uh, tasting in in an archway, in a sort of an underground. Um, I think it was some kind of a railway. Uh, arch or something. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Could they so, not afford a proper hall? <laughs> well, no, you see, the whole thing was it's it's the castle. It's it's um, the castle of the devil. You see, it's this whole right, yeah. brand. Oh, I thought because you know your man from The Last of Us advertising yeah, was that Pedro Pascal. Was yeah, pa- pa- Pedro Pascal, who actually was is voted Time Magazine voted one of the top one hundred influential people of the year. Um, he's known for The Last of Us and The Mandalorian, and he is their kind of brand ambassador. Yeah. So he's the fellow in the ad who says, wine so special, it is protected by the devil, looking very sexy and sultry, you okay. see. So we went over, um, that's the tagline from what this What kind iconic... of accent was that, Jane? <laughs> that's supposed to be <laughs> Chilean, but it didn't really that's work. his accent in The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I went over to meet Marcello Papa, who's the winemaker, me and like about 100 uh, in, from the UK press. Um, and the, the whole thing, the Conchitoro, is that uh, Don Melchor, the guy who founded it 130 years ago, spread the rumour that um, the devil was haunting his cellar to keep thieves away from his private wine collection. And when they started this brand in the 1960s, they thought, well, this would be a great way to promote the wine. Mm. But they've certainly had quite... Um, it's now one of the world's biggest brands. Um, they send, sell 7.2 million cases of it every year. It's number two on the Irish market. Um, it's number one in Chile. And um, it's like it's one of the big behemoths. It's, it's one of the biggest selling wines on the Irish market. So what we have is we have two wines from the range. We have their um, Reserve Especial Sauvignon Blanc, which is their kind of their premium, premiumizing the brand. And that's the sort of the next level up. And then we have probably one of the most popular wines on this market, the Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon, which is just fantastic and does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, and so, people would be very familiar, particularly oh God, with, yeah. their, with I mean, the it's, red it's, there. it's in yeah. every supermarket, every off-license every spa centre around the country you'll always find this brand because it's hugely hugely popular but um, it was really interesting to go over and meet Marcello Papa and you know hear the, the background to the whole brand and you know how it developed and and we saw the ad um, you know in full and you know so, so it was yeah it was 
It was actually a very interesting um, yeah. day. How many um, how many wines do they have then? Are different sorts of wines? They have. You know I mean. Well, there's the basic one, but um, now in this new Reserve Especial, they've, they've got um, five red and white, which they're now going to be promoting. They're also next year going to be uh, launching a low alcohol wine. They're actually looking at, they're going to be making a Tempranillo, which they'll be sourcing the fruit from okay. Spain. It'll be Casilero del Diablo, but the fruit, fruit will come from Spain. It'll be a Spanish version. So they've actually got so many plans and, and basically what they were doing was outlining um, all their plans for the next couple of years of how they're going to develop it and, and make the wine more and make new styles of wine, low alcohol wines. They're basically looking for what people are drinking and they're going to cater for it. So um, I spent a lovely day in London um, okay. and had a lot of fun. Uh, right, so the Emmys are delayed, Vanula. Yes, they have been officially postponed. They were supposed to be airing September 18th, but obviously the writer's strike is still in full swing. The actors are now also on strike. Um, so yeah, it's potentially being pushed out. I think they're looking at January 2024, 2024 rather, provisionally, but nothing confirmed. Uh, it's actually only uh, the second time, I think, ever that the Emmys have been postponed. The last time was 2011, obviously in the wake of uh, 9-11. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, they had pushed it back to November and then there was something else that meant it was uh, pushed back until, or sorry, yeah, it was pushed back until November because of, there was military action in Afghanistan as well. Uh, so yeah, we won't be hearing whether succession is sweeping the board until next January, probably. I'd say that'll be the earliest because They're, the writer's strike just doesn't seem like it's no, going to end. Uh, but it wasn't. I did. I read somewhere that the kind of that the studios are basically going to make the the stri- striking writers sweat, and that they won't come to the table, and they're going to wait till the end of the year until they're all you know working in. McDonald's. Yeah, there were some like horrible anonymized quotes and sources from people basically saying that, yeah, that they were going to put them under so much pressure until the point that I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially until the point that they were like homeless or whatever, that they were going to be under so much pressure that it was like they had to come to the table. But I mean, I don't know, like there just seems to be no sign of either of them kind of cracking. You had like uh, Brian Cranston giving that really impassioned speech recently directly to Bob Iger, who's the head honcho at Disney around like AI and the fact that they weren't going to back down over their jobs and stuff. So I just, I think that we're in it for the long haul with these strikes, I think. Because even if like, if if, they're saying January of next year, but sure, if just say they come to a settlement in December, is there even enough time then to put on? That's what I'm saying. Like this could go on for, as I say, okay, say they do settle in December. There's no way they're going to be ready for... January, when you consider like the vendors and the organ, the level of organization that goes into it, like mm. it's, I don't know, it seems like a, a provisional month for sure yeah. in terms of and actually when it'll happen. And if there's a, a knock on effect on other award shows, will that hit clothes designers, but particularly the manufacturers of fake tan? Uh, that would be. <laughs> It'll have a devastating effect on the industry. Think I would of have the thought. people with the spray yeah, tan yeah, guns, yeah. guys. That's, that's the know, real victims. That's the real victims here. They'll yeah. be homeless probably yeah. before uh, <laughs> before the writers are. Uh, I didn't even know Julia Roberts was in Mission Impossible. But, she uh, wasn't. Is the thing, but she ah, was supposed right. to be in this most recent Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Uh, she was supposed to feature in this flashback scene that it, that does feature in uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I'm going to say this as spoiler free as possible. But basically she was pitched as Ethan Hunt's 
ex-girlfriend and when the flashback scene is said it's like the late 1980s so the director uh, Christopher McQuarrie was like Julie Roberts would be perfect whatever for this particular role Ethan Hunt played by Tom Cruise um, so they were looking at de-aging Tom Cruise and Julie Roberts as the ex-girlfriend but he said that by the time he said well one he said that he found the technology like too distracting and said it would have taken people out of the movie to see Tom Cruise looking a lot younger or whatever against how he looks now and probably the same with Julia Roberts. But he said that they inevitably scrapped it as well because when they got the bill for the de-aging of the people, if they had like two or three in the same scene, it would have cost more than the train. There's a big train set piece in this movie. Again, no spoilers, but like the train obviously crashes and whatever and they put it together themselves. That's not really a shock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the train crashes, spoiler. Yeah. Um, but they did that all themselves, built it and obviously they crashed it themselves so like there's a huge cost incurred with that. They said the cost to de-age them and have like Tom Cruise and Julia Roberts in the same scene even before you factored in their salaries was so much that Christopher was like, nah, absolutely not. So. That's mad, I wouldn't have thought. Well, I mean, you know, I would have thought it was expensive but that's all like done on a computer, isn't it? Yeah, but it must be like the level of time probably you're putting into actually making it right and making it look as not weird as possible, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Uh, you're like, you're one who played it in the end, Mariela Garriga. She's obviously not as big a name as Julia Roberts either. Like, so I could imagine, like, again, when you are factoring salaries, like, she's commanding a much bigger paycheck than this gal yeah. would be, you know, so. Oh, so the scene is there. There's the scene it, there is, is there. Now, it's done slightly differently. I think the initial concept was that it was going to be a longer kind of intro scene. And the way it is in the movie now is that it's a flashback scene kind of interspersed throughout the movie. Okay. Um, but so, so, yeah. it, so is Tom Cruise in it and is he de-aged? Or I think so, going, yeah. I don't need to be de-aged. He's probably, he's the anti-wrinkle cream on or something yeah, like yeah. that. Just face tune. Okay. Right. That's, that's. There you go. It's mad, isn't it? Technology, yeah? Yeah, there you are. Uh, let's have a drink, Jane. Let's have yeah. a drink after all that. Right, we'll start off with the 2022 Casillero del Diablo Reserva Especial. This is 13 euros and it's available in Dunn stores. And at this price, this is absolutely fabulous value. Um, it's their next level up. It's, um, it's made from grapes in the coastal part of Colchawa Valley. And one thing, I used to work with Wines of Chile. In fact, I was director of Wines of Chile in Ireland for a long time, uh, but I haven't done anything with them since about 2010. And this was the first time I've gone to a Chilean tasting in a long time and they've actually now broken it into coastal regions and Andes regions and obviously that has a big the coastal regions are going to be um, impacted by the Pacific Ocean and then you have the cold air coming down from the Andes so which gives you cooler fresher vines you know in, in mm. the vineyard so it was really interesting from that point of view. So the this is Sauvignon Blanc, um, single vineyard, and it's sourced from Colchaua. Now, Colchaua is down to the south in Chile, and it's not a typical north-south valley. It's a horseshoe-shaped valley where the wind coming off the Pacific kind of funnels up through the region. And in fact, it was the first region in Chile to start planting grapes up on the hills. So... What they've done is they've used the, the Sauvignon Blanc from Colchaua and it's absolutely super. They they did a food and wine match while we were there and we had Cornish crab salad with linseed cracker and avocado puree with this wine. And my God, I died and went to heaven. It was beautiful. Yes. You know, no, a posh chef cooked it. So, yeah, well, of course. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's not something I could sort yeah. of, you know, <laughs> throw together, you know, that easy. And run through all that again. What was it again you ate? 
It was um, Cornish crab salad with linseed cracker and avocado puree. Okay. Mm. It was yummy. And it was yeah. with this, it was absolutely beautiful. Oh, and these were like mouthfuls. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was. And you could just pop in 17 of them before you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four stone in a blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> you know. So anyway, so what the, this this is, the, the cooler, the, the cool climate, because it's cooler at night in the vineyards where this is grown, I thought this was a lovely, elegant wine. My, the note I wrote, um, elegant nose, subdued, restrained tropical fruit aromas, plenty of citrus fruit and a fresh acidity. Wonderful balance. That was my tasting note um, from tasting it on the time. And, you know, it's still the same. Um, very delicate and elegant on the nose. And when you taste it, very restrained, very elegant wine. And again, at 13 euro, that's a great price. So it's your Reserve Especial. The especial means something, you know, it's not the, the reserve is the next level down. Yeah. This is the next level up and it's Casilero del Diablo. OK, right. So uh, we had a few technical problems there, but Esther's a, a, on the phone. What films are we going to be talking about today, Esther? Hi, Sean. We're going to be talking about Maggie Moore, which is um, John Hamm's latest foray into comedy. Uh, he's been doing a bit of that since Mad Men, actually. It look, looks like he's enjoying the change. It's a uh, cross between a thriller a dark comedy and a romance. So kind of going for a Coen Brothers vibe here, I think. It's got a good cast, supporting cast as well, including Tina Fey. Okay, yeah. Then we'll also, we'll also be talking about the new Alfred Hitchcock documentary, um, My Name is Alfred Hitchcock, which is the latest film from a very well-known Belfast filmmaker, actually by the name of Mark Cousins, who will be quite well-known in independent cinema circles. Okay, uh, well, uh, well, well, we're going to take a, a, a break. Which one would you like to talk about first, Esther? Let's do Maggie Moore. Okay, we'll do Maggie Moore. Or Maggie Moore's. Uh, Maggie Moore's, yes, more correctly, uh, after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Push, jump, or fell. Shot in the back of the head, dragging yourself away. My God, that's awful. Vehicles registered to Maggie Moore. Did you say Maggie Moore? Two dead Maggie Moores one week apart. Yeah, that's weird. Mr. Moore! Can I help you? Uh, I'm looking for Jay Moore. He's not here. They're separated. Oh. Big fight. You need to leave. Oh, I need to leave? Yeah. This is my house, Maggie! She did yell the word filth. I caught that. Well, Jay Moore's into something. My wife is threatening to go to the cops. I would like you to scare her off the idea. Right. Okay. So that's uh, uh, Ma- uh, Maggie Moore's. Uh, uh, the, the, I think the, the Moore's is for some reason in, in brackets. But uh, I think we got from that uh, tr- uh, bit of the trailer even, there's more than one Maggie Moore in this film. Is that right, Esther? That's right, Sean. It's um, it's on the this mad premise that uh, two people with the same name died Within, were murdered actually within a week of each other. So it kind of gives you that premise at the start and then steps back from that and goes, you know, the story goes, how did this all happen? So I was watching this and sometimes sometimes you think you're so clever when you're watching movies for a living. Um, you see this bungled, uh, you know, the husband wants to scare his wife into not uh, shopping him on something, but she ends up being murdered. This is all on the outside, by the way. And it's got a kind of mix of black comedy and thriller elements to it. And I was kind of watching this going, this is so like Fargo, like this so Mm. wants to be Fargo. And I thought I was really clever and then went and read every other single review 
which references Fargo. <laughs> so it's a very obvious kind of um, a very obvious kind of comparison. And I think it was part of the reason I didn't really like it, because I'm kind of like you're really straining to do a version of my favourite movie of all times here and I'm not buying it. Um, it's interesting to see the people on board here, though, because you've got John Hamm and Tina Fey, uh, you know, with a really good cast, including supporting actors, uh, by maybe the best supporting actor character or real life name ever is Happy Anderson. Um, and he's really good, actually, as kind of the grim faced killer at the heart of all of this. Um, it's directed, interestingly, by John Slattery, who as well as being very well known as an actor, um, starring in Mad Men, of course, with John Hamm is uh, going behind the director's chair, going on the director's chair for the first time here for a feature. He's made a couple of shorts in the past, but this is his first time making a feature film. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's, he's this, John Hamm, he's kind of playing against type. He's kind of the non-sex symbol in this one. Uh, he is this troubled police chief, I suppose. He's been bereaved, we learn early on, a, a year earlier. And, um, he comes across this very strange coincidence when he hears at the start that this woman named Maggie Moore's, Moore has been murdered because instantly he and his colleague realise um, that they encountered a murder of someone with the very, very same name just a week earlier. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's how did these two... So it's kind of an obvious premise in that you go... Okay, there are you know two people with the same name. It has to be a case of mistaken identity in the first one, right? So, uh, and then someone went back for for a second go. You know, um, it centres on this character who's named Jay, who's uh, played by Mika Stock, who earns a living selling out of date food to his fast food franchise. So he's kind of a dodgy character, and he works with this associate who draws him into kind of fairly illegal criminal activity. Um, his wife, who is already in a troubled relationship with him, gets wind of this and is done with him, basically, but also says, I'm going to report you to the police. This is outrageous. Um, in case people think I'm giving away too much, this is the very premise is the, you know, given to you at the outset. Uh, so he hires this local hoodlum who happens to be deaf in a kind of a running narrative that doesn't really work, actually. Uh, and he wants to scare her. You know, he hires him to scare her into silence, but that ends really, really badly and violently. And uh, when Ham's law enforcer, Jordan, gets wind of this, it strikes him as very suspicious because uh, he and his partner have both, who's played by actually Nick Mohammed from Ted Lasso, people will know him. Okay. Uh, and they realise they've dealt with a crime involving the same person only a week earlier. Uh that's a bit of a problem in, the, you know, the fact that I, I sound like I'm front loading the plot there is a bit of a problem in the movie, I think, because you're, the stars of the film are put to task figuring out what viewers already know. And if you're doing a crime thriller, uh, that's a bit problematic. But what they're trying to do here is tilting it you know, towards black comedy and romance as well. The romance works quite well, actually. Um, Ham and Faye are really nice together. As a policeman, the policeman and a potential witness who has maybe overheard a crucial piece of evidence that would solve this crime. Um, and she's keen to forge a romance, I suppose, with him. But he's reluctant because of his own bereavement to do that. Uh, so it's kind of I might want to see John Hamm and Tina Fey in a rom-com down the line. I think it would be quite might be quite sweet. Uh, there's, then there's black humour as well with, the you know, 
stop the nasty husband who's really trying to be William H. Macy in Fargo um, as oh he tries God. kind of to wiggle. Yeah, it's too much of it. Um, he tries to wiggle out. Actually, Sean, you know, there's even a kind of a character, a quirky character who has been in a relationship with him. And, you know, she doesn't quite say they were kind of funny looking, but she nearly does. You know, it's it's very reminiscent, I think, of, of Fargo. And I felt everyone involved here was definitely trying to channel the spirit of the Cone brothers. But it isn't. It's the Cones. It ain't, you know, it veers some comedy to caper. You know, and, and at times quite a violent crime story, actually, with an awkwardness, I think, that is, you know, what not worth the sum of its parts here, uh, given the talent of everyone involved. Oh, God. And is, is this, in, is this in the cinema, Esther? Or, or, no, this is a Sky and Now release from today. Oh. Um, Barbie and Oppenheimer are packing them in this weekend. So, yeah. uh, for ongoing. So there's very little uh, in, in the cinema at the moment, other no, than those yeah. two it's massive good, films. Good week to release bad news kind of thing in, in cinema terms as well. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. And now, this is, is this some pile of crap that's been sitting on the shelf for two years and then they say, well, just put it out now? I mean, I don't know. I've, I there, there is a tendency to think that, I think people have access to streaming now and they've access to m- much more films and there's a tendency to think, oh, if it goes to the streamers, it's a lesser film. What I would say to that is I've been watching crap cinema movies in the cinema for years and years and yeah, years. And yeah, I can true. tell you the percentages are probably about the same, actually. Uh, so I think what happened, what happened in the festival circuit while, you know, when the pandemic changed everything, uh, what happened in the festival circuit was they, you know, they had deep pockets that streamers like Sky and Netflix and they were in competition with each other. And there was a bit of a streamer war going on. There still is. And they went to all the festivals and started snapping up these films for exclusive releases. And, you, you know, you, you, if you've got deep pockets, you think a movie with John Hamm and Tina Fey yeah. is a fairly safe bet. Um, I will say there have been some good reviews for this one. Uh, it's kind of on getting 50-50 in reviews, I think, but it just did not. I just didn't buy it. I just felt yeah. it just lurched between genres a bit too awkwardly for me. Yeah. I'm no. sorry, if you're gonna if you're gonna do an ape of Fargo, you better make it good. Yeah. Uh on the but though on the subject of uh, um Sky and, and now T V in a eerie synchronicity, the Sinead O'Connor documentary, doesn't that launch this weekend there? That launches tomorrow, isn't yeah. it? A mad coincidence. Um and I will say just in case anyone thinks they're being opportunistic, that date would have been locked in months ago. Um it's it's a wonderful documentary, nothing compares. Directed by Catherine Ferguson, uh, a, a great Belfast filmmaker who made one of Sinead's videos, I think, and they must have bonded over over that experience. And she's made this really personal, rousing feminist film um, that revisits the time Sinead, you know, we've been talking about it so much the last two, three days, but I suppose it was on uncharted territory a year ago when this documentary came out, how badly treated she was that time Sinead when she tore up the and how right she turned out to be mm. I think and it revisits all of that time and also it centres on the making the build up to the making of Nothing Compares to You as well that song that changed her life it's it's a brilliant brilliant film like it's somebody reminded me on, on Twitter the other night that I said it was Senna good when I reviewed it in <laughs> cinemas last year and it is Senna good it's very good and I I shudder to think what it would be like to watch though Yes, following the yeah. events of the last yeah. couple of days. I think it will be a very different viewing experience in a very emotional way. But yeah. it's a really powerful film. Yeah. 
just, just going back to Maggie Moores, Peter says, was never a big fan of John Hamm, but his last few movies have been great. Uh, Confess Fletch was surprisingly excellent. Must say, I yeah, Confess Fletch is very underseen, including by me. I have to put my hand up. Yeah, I have yet to get to it. But it's, um, yeah, it's really well reviewed. It was brought, it came out last year and uh, the reviews for it are really high, uh, really positive, actually. And it's, again, going into black comedy territory. So that's something I think it's interesting that he just probably after playing, starring a madman for so long that he wants to kind of dip in and out of the indie comedy uh, circuit Mm. and see what he can play with there, you know. Uh, Mark on Twitter wants to know, is anyone on the panel an opinion on Nicolas Cage's new film Sympathy for the Devil? Has I haven't heard anything about that. Is that... Uh, Doesn't he like... But he does a film once every fortnight, so yeah. it's hard to keep up. <laughs> it is hard uh, to keep really, up, yeah. I would have thought. Um, but I suppose he's kind of been reinvented to a certain extent, just like being himself. In a way, yeah. What was that one? I think Esther reviewed it, actually, the, yeah, the with Pedro the, Pascal. Yes, yeah. He's is actually supposed to be good. Again, not one that I've seen yet, but... It's absolutely pa- wonderful. It's so funny. And I, it's got a really long name, which I can't remember now. It was like the amazing um, awesomeness of being Nicholas The unbearable Cage. weight of yeah, massive yeah, talent, yeah, I think. Right, That's yeah. it. Something That's like it. that. Yeah. It is so much fun, lads, if you haven't seen it. It's really good fun. It's Nicholas Cage playing Nicholas Cage and going full mesh, meta and kind of sending his Nicolas Cage-ness up yeah. in the process, is he which though? I really loved. Is he though? Or can he, he's just incapable of being any other way now? <laughs> <laughs> it's the best you of know. fun and it is, it's the best of fun actually. Have a look and tell me what, how self-aware he is or he isn't when you've seen it. Nicolas but Cage runs a post office in the west of Ireland. That's, uh, yeah, very, very believable. Uh, right, so um, uh, now going back to the writer's strike, is there like they're going to start using AI, artificial intelligence, well, not artificial insemination? Uh, <laughs> to, uh... There's, they seem to be on a bit of a hiring spree, the studios. Now, just a refresher for anyone who's like doesn't really get the AI argument or why kind of they're striking in the first place. Basically, the actors are worried the studios are going to take their likenesses or their voices and reuse them yeah. over and over for projects for little or no pay. We kind of saw it in the the Black Mirror, the opening episode of Black Mirror, the most recent season where that kind of happened. And to a lesser extent, if anyone saw the most recent Space Jam reboot, there's kind of a, a plot line about that. Not a good movie. Actually, don't recommend watching that. But anyway, um, and then the writers are afraid that studios will use like language models like ChatGBT to write or rewrite scripts, which will basically do them out of a job. Um, but The Hollywood Reporter had this big report this week on open listings from studios at the minute and they're they're hiring for a lot of AI jobs. Now, they're not all necessarily related to content. Like some of them are obviously like customer service and like data analysis, but the money associated with them is crazy. And it's also kind of crazy considering you have companies like Disney just finished laying off like 7,000 employees, but they're looking for someone at the minute uh, an R&D Imagineer focused on generative AI like that is a base salary of like 180k which is nuts Crikey. Netflix made headlines they had advertised uh, a job an AI product manager job that promised compensation up to 900k so it's kind of whoa it's nuts nuts money now not all those jobs are lucrative like there's some in the areas of like ethics where they're not as well paying this report says yes, well ethics never pay yeah that's, that's it yeah. Um, so yeah like it kind of does give like credence to the argument yeah. that the writers and the actors are making that it's like okay you say this is nothing to worry about but you're kind of actively recruiting people 
for these mad jobs there at is, mad money. There is a fella in England who, who who's a professional voiceover artist who I think is in a court case. I forget which company it is he's suing, but he did... But it's a big computer company, so uh, I won't say the name because in case I get it wrong. But they did record him 20 years ago um, and they had his voice and he probably signed a piece of paper saying, yeah, you own that now without thinking of what the... Uh, but now they offer a service um, uh, where it's a computer generated voice, but it's his voice. Mm. It was the uh, same with when TikTok uh, launched their... Like, they kind of had a thing where if you had captions on the screen, it would, like, say the captions. I mean, there's yeah, a word for yeah, that. Like, yeah, it would dictate yeah. it for you. And the original voice was a woman who, like, again, I think kind of similar association had, like, signed it off or maybe didn't know she'd signed it off. Um, but TikTok ended up having to, like, retract her voice and put in a different voice. So if you hear, like, any of those ones with, like, those, and again, like, generated kind of voiceover, it was originally a different woman, but it's another woman now. So, yeah, I think this is going to get... More and more common, messy. unfortunately, and messy. Yeah, because, and and just to explain, like in actors, I don't know if actors in the States are still played residuals or not. Um, I think well, this they is are. the thing. They, they are, are, but yeah. because of like streaming, it's so, like if it's made for Netflix, it's probably not going to go very many other places in a different way than like, the example I always use is Friends. Like Friends has been on yeah. every single network and like it's been on RT2, it's been on Comedy Central, it was on E4 for a while, then it got to Netflix. You know what I mean? Like there's not the same kind of chain of movement for streaming shows and they're the, the biggest amount of shows at the minute. Like there's m- less people watching like cable or like network television. People are predominantly watching the streaming shows. Um, but the residuals don't go back to the actors then in the same way. That's the other thing that they're kind of arguing adre- yeah. against. That's what Fran Drescher was saying when now, for initially people, went on strike. Yeah, for people listening, residual essentially means that the actor get paid a relatively small amount of money, but every time something is screened, yeah, they get money, exactly, which yeah. is, uh, used to be a very sweet deal. Yeah. But in, like, say in Ireland, I know that they don't do it. Like they got rid of residuals years ago. They used to do like if you did a, um, used to be was if you did a, a voiceover for an advert, um, you uh, um, people used to get paid residual. They get paid every time the advert was played, but then okay. they, they replaced that with just a buyout. Yeah, but like that, like I haven't done one for years. But I used to do a fair amount of advertising voiceovers, uh, but none of those were, were re- residual. So mm. presumably they own my voice now. Yeah, and at some point during an ad break in the show, there'll be some ad for something that is being flogged, but and it's my voice, but I don't own it anymore. Oh my god, Robo Sean! Oh my god, Robo Sean! <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. I used to do, I actually used to do the voiceover for this bank uh, and um, that uh, uh, that isn't in the Irish market anymore, so feck them. But but they made me do, um, like, they do these things where they record all the the interest rates, you know, and they go, and you'd have to do this really fast terms and conditions. You might lose your entire home, but say it so quickly so nobody had noticed that bit. Uh, um, But they made me quote all these interest rates. And they said, well, we're going to go up to these like crazy interest rates because that'll never happen. And then like the week after the crash happened and they had to call me back in again because the interest rate had got even higher. <laughs> uh, uh, that they actually, they actually anticipated. Uh, right. Anyway, so Killian Murphy's going to be Ken in the next Barbie sequel. Absolutely true. Well, he said he'd read the script. Someone yeah. asked him, obviously, this is pre-actor strike, whatever, but like some journalist obviously was like, Barbie Oppenheimer, I have to ask you, would you be Ken in a sequel? And he said, sure, yeah, let's read the script. 
script. Let's have a conversation. I can't wait to see Barbie. I can't wait to see the movie. I think it's great for cinema to get all these great movies happening this summer. But With it's just his like tongue rammed through his cheek. <laughs> yeah, I just, really feel sorry. And because there was a good piece in the Irish Times about how the writer strike was, he was probably delighted. Oh, ch- I, so he doesn't have to do interviews because he hates them. He hates them. I just, yeah. I feel, so, I just want to give him a big oh, hug no, in the chair. The He's just like fella. squirming. Yeah, I would absolutely. kind of love to see him as a Ken, though, with his big like white walker eyes. Know. Just having seen that's like your the st- disillusionment of man. Super perfect. intense Ken. You know. <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> knows that yeah, Ken. Yeah, yeah, Every yeah. woman knows yeah. a super intense Ken. You know that language that then when thought about death. Yes, I have. <laughs> I think of little else. Um, Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Uh, Kevin says Matt LeBlanc had a HP sauce ad that got him through acting college. Featured, it was featured on Graham Norton and someone else says the irony of Killian Murphy's intense looks and performances. He's likely one of the most well-adjusted and content among us, judging by his resistance to the glam side of fame and having zero interaction with social media. Sigh. Back to doom scrolling I go, says that texter. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's You're right. He lives kind of a relatively quiet, well, not quiet, but like ordinary life. Uh, uh, you know, somewhere in Dublin uh, and, uh, you know, with uh, uh, his partner and a couple of kids and uh, good for him. Uh, Paul says residuals are still a thing. I know a girl who appeared in a TV ad when she was 10. It's been on Irish TV for the past six years and each time it's renewed, she gets her fee plus 10%. Nice. Uh, says Paul. Mm. Now, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if that's the same as residuals because they, 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 they can do a buyout for a period of time but residuals were like every time well, mm. as my understanding was that every time it was shown uh, you got something imagine that though every time it was shown anyway uh, our next uh, uh, movie to review is called My Name is Alfred Hitchcock here's a clip uh, is this working? yes Mr Hitchcock it's working okay I'm ready to tell my story my name is Alfred Hitchcock and before I die I was the most famous filmmaker in the world. My films were like Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window. They loved looking. And how would you like us to look at your films in the 21st century, Alfred? I'd like you to look at Janet in that lonely, remote shower and see yourself in her, her hope, your vulnerability. You certainly wanted us to look at faces and desire, didn't you? Right, that's uh, my name is Alfred Hitchcock. I'm guessing that isn't actually Alfred Hitchcock uh, in that clip, Esther. No, it's not. Uh, that's an actor by the name of Alistair McGowan, who is doing a really ah. good impression of um, of him, actually, as he talks us through his life and his work. Uh, I suppose the first thing to say is what this isn't, Sean. Like, this is not your standard Alfred Hitchcock biopic or for that matter, even a standard documentary about Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I suppose the best way I could describe this is Hitchcock on Hitchcock. So it's a uh, you know it's a, from a Belfast filmmaker by the name of Mark Cousins, who'd be really really well known in independent cinema and on the festival circuit in this part of the world. He's forever making stuff. Like I, he, I think he has three projects on the go at the moment, and he's a real maverick. Um, like no project is too big for Mark Cousins. He made a documentary a couple of years ago called Women Make Film. 
And it ran at 14 hours was the running time about the history of women filmmakers. OK. Um, I, I, I think Ronnie Humphreys at Dublin International Film Festival put it on over three mornings. Even she wasn't hardcore enough to put on a 14 film, 14 hour film in one go. But if I know her, she would have thought about it. Uh, I really recommend it. It's really great. But maybe watch it one hour at a time. Uh, so this one, the Alfred Hitchcock uh, doc is running at a paltry two hours and is narrated by um, Alistair McGowan, who we never get to see on screen, but he impersonates the actor as he talks us through his work. Now, this is this is an ironic one for me because I, I was going, who's this for? It would be often the first question you ask when you're reviewing mm. something, you know, and I was going, this is for film school rejects. This is for absolute nerds. And it dawned on me over the course of the film that ironically, it's actually for people who are uninitiated into the work of Alfred Hitchcock in any great way beyond those couple of films like Psycho or Rear Window. It is actually a really good introduction to the vastness of his work. So actually, if you'd never seen more than a handful of Hitchcock films in your life, you might enjoy this. Having said that, it is really, really nerdy. Um, So it's, you know, it's told in chapters. um, And, you know, featuring all the time some of his best known scenes on screen, but also some of the lesser known ones. Uh, and it's own chapters with, with themes like the escape, desire, time and fulfillment. Uh, and, he, and we learn his tricks. He basically talks us through all of his tricks of the trade and in really interesting ways, like showing, you know, we're given several examples at one stage of how he invites an audience in by opening a door into a scene and leaving the door open. Um, or there's one film where he puts the camera on a big wheel on a fairground ride with the actual female protagonist in a film called The Ring. Um, Cary Grant running from the plane, of course, is one of the most famous scenes of all of them in North by Northwest. Uh, and he describes that as the emptiest scene he ever shot and makes the point that you don't have to be confined to want to escape. So it's beautifully written in that regard. You know, it's full of insights and full of um, Alfred Hitchcock's, you know, trademark dry wish and sarcasm. Uh, And I think, yeah, you really learn things about how he tells stories. Like there's a a bit in The Birds, which probably the the film, I think it's probably the film that freaks me out the most, actually, The Birds. Mm, Yeah. I think after seeing it when I was younger, I think combined with my mother telling me if a bat got into your hair, it would never get out and you'd have to cut all your hair off. Yeah. Just a combination That's of those two things. That's actually what happened to me in real life. <laughs> <laughs> really? No. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'm so gullible, John. I believed that for years, you see. But uh, yeah, I had this combo of, yeah, any low-flying creature would make me duck. Uh, but there's a great scene, you know, when the when the character in the birds, if you remember, she, they walks, walks into a film, follow, into a room following an attack. And the images are horrific, like mm. it's the aftermath of, of an attack. But he kind of takes you through how he only uses silent, you know, there's no sound used in that. Yes, it's just silent yeah. images, and the eyes which are makes gone. it more frightening. Ugh, yeah. Um, and of course, like the shower scene in Psycho, like that is a work of genius in that if you actually watch that with a rational brain, as opposed to being, oh, my God, I'm so spooked. Like you actually get to see very little. You see the stabbing motion and you see... Um, you hear that amazing music, of course, that amazing high piercing score, 
but you actually see very little violence, even yeah. though you think you've witnessed an amazing act of violence. So I think what he's doing, what, what yeah. Mark Cousins is doing here is doubling down with all of that in yeah. really interesting ways. So where, where is this on, Esther? This is a cinema release. This okay. is, uh, I think it opened in some cinemas last Friday, but The Lighthouse and IFI have it from today. Um, I think there was just so much uh, Barbie Heimering going on last that's, weekend that that's there was a little bit of movement. For. Right, Jean, yeah, t- yeah. tell us uh, about her second wine OK, today. this is the 2021 Casilero del Diablo Reserva Cabernet Sauvignon. I personally think that Cabernet Sauvignon is the grape that Chile does the best. Um, and this comes from three of the best regions for Cabernet, Maipo, Rafael and Maule. Now, Maipo and Rafael are pretty well near to each other. Maule is further down to the south. And what um, Marcello Papa told us in the tasting was that this is a, uh, you know, and this is their basic entry level one. This is 12 euro and it's everywhere. It's in every supermarket, independent off license around the country. So what he does is it, they they have, um, they blend, they, they grow the fruit and then they blend them together. So each brings a distinctive flavour. Um, so, uh, you know, the Maipo gives soft tannin, lots of cassis. Raphael tends to give you more sweet black fruit and Maule, which has red clay over granite subsoil, tends to give you more edgy wines. So again, Again, I'll just give right my tasting night. Uh, beautifully smoky with lots of chocolate flavours, spicy blackberry fruit and um, lovely soft tannin. It's, okay. you know, very, very drinkable. And at 12 euro, you know, good price. Yeah. Uh, now, and uh, uh, finally, Fanula, um, um, Jack Leeson uh, has a new role on, on the BBC, which, of course, begs the obvious question, who the hell is Jack Leeson? <laughs> he played uh, Joffrey in Game of Thrones. Yeah, but he's not King one Joffrey. of the Gleesons. No, he's not one of the Gleesons, I think, no, the communist he's completely but he's unrelated not. to the Gleesons. Yeah, yes. but he obviously, like, rose to massive fame with this role and uh, kind of flew under the radar he, but since. But didn't he give up acting? He kind, Yeah, he kind of, like, semi-retired. He's done, like, small bits of theatre and stuff since like he said in an interview I think he was speaking to The Independent and he said like it wasn't an interesting answer as to why he retired but basically he'd been acting since he was like eight I'm not sure exactly what age he was when he got the Joffrey role but like whatever early 20s that's still a long time to be acting and actively working Um, so he just said he wanted to take a break and enjoy it and also his character was like very divisive I remember another interview where people were like kind of shouting at him and he was saying people shouted at him in the street because people couldn't separate him yeah. from the character which is really harsh but yeah he's going to be starring in the upcoming BBC adaptation of The Famous Five he plays a character <laughs> called <laughs> That's a stretch isn't it? Oh, well, yeah. I have to is that The Famous Five the, the book? The Famous yeah. Five oh, the book. Famous when five. I was a kid that was my one of my favourite books Well yeah. I think he plays a baddie in it he plays oh, a guy yeah, called Wentworth Of course Wentworth. he does Yeah, yeah. we so don't is, know about his character Is this for kids? It's, 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 not, uh, it's not a spoof Famous Five like remember the you it's don't remember It's not a spoof Famous Five but I don't necessarily know if it's like actively aimed at children. I don't know if it's more kind of an, an more when I say more adult spin, you know you know it, what I mean when I say yeah. that as opposed to the other thing. Five go mad on mescaline. That's my favourite. <laughs> who knows? Of who all knows? Of uh, right, thank you uh, to uh, Jean and Esther and Fanula. That's our lot uh, for today and uh, for this week indeed. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk.